So it's my great pleasure to invite up here Terry Fomerand from Yonkers, New York. Good evening, Toronto. My name is Terry from Cocaine Addicts. Good to be here, Chris. Thank you for the intro. Pew, pew, pew. Oh, man. What an honor and privilege to be here. I want to personally thank uh, the committee and everyone who put this together. This was absolutely beautiful. This is probably the most fun I've ever had in my entire life, so thank you. A special thank you to Pavin and to Fisher for advocating for me to be here. Uh, I wouldn't be here without you guys, so thank you very much. Um, I believe in miracles because I am a miracle. I'm going to say that one more time. I believe in miracles because I am a miracle. Amen. I'm a miraculous demonstration of the power of God in one's life. And a miracle happened on June 1st, 2019, where the gift of desperation screamed louder than the obsession. It actually screamed louder than the craving that was beyond my mental control. I didn't quit getting high. I was separated. All right. I have a home group. It's called Outright Mental Defectives. We meet us tomorrow. That's right. That's right. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> we meet tomorrow, Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern. It's a speaker meeting. They speak for 50 minutes. And then we have Q&A afterwards. And, you know, God showed me how to create the fellowship around me. And I want to give a special shout out to Off the Rails. That was the first Cocaine Anonymous meeting I ever went to. <laughs> If you guys ever hear that, meeting makers make it, you know that term, it's true. If you do make a meeting, you do make it. But with that, that, what it really meant was when I create a meeting, I make it. When I create the fellowship that I crave around me, I make it. Yeah. I have a sponsor. I also sponsor others. I don't even like the word sponsor. <laughs> I like spiritual tour guide or spiritual advisor. In chapter 7, working with others, when we approach an individual, they're a prospect, then they become a candidate, they may then become a protege. Protege is that someone's very special to you, and then we become lifelong friends. And that's how I view the people that I work with. It's not a hierarchy. It's not me standing on a spiritual mountaintop screaming hallelujah, <laughs> right? right? It, we're walking shoulder to shoulder, hand in hand, the broad highway together. And these people become my sponsors because I could go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs as well. So. <laughs> You know, before I drank and before I got high, I, I had this internal discomfort inside, this internal dis-ease, this feeling of inadequacy, feeling of insecurity, fear of what other people thought of me. You know, there's a line on page 52 that says, we couldn't make a living, that's one of our bedevilments. And I was taught to take statements and turn them into questions to make this book talk, talk to me personally. I mean, I could read all day about the first 100 or first 80, right, page, and, and how boring, how boring they are. But if I take statements and turn them into questions or considerations, the book starts to talk to me personally. And someone asks me that question, can you make a living? I'm like, no, bro. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in rehab in Minnesota. I don't even know where I'm at in Minnesota. Where am I at? Am I near Canada? I'm in near North Dakota. Why does everybody sound like they have a French Canadian accent that's mixed with a southern accent? Right? I, I mean, <laughs> and, um, but after studying this book a little bit further, and thank you, Paige, for allowing me to use your book. After studying this book a little bit further, it means I'm not comfortable living in my own skin, and that's exactly how I felt before I got high. And then I found alcohol and drugs. You know, when I was drinking and getting high, I was amazed before I was halfway through. And, and when I was getting high, I was going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. When I was getting high, I suddenly 
realized that alcohol and drugs was doing for me what I could never do for myself. Right? And I went to four rehabs in, in high school. I was mandated, more like mom dated, <laughs> to these rehabs. Right? And I also, it was so funny, because I remember sitting in these rehabs and like, I just had a lot of fun. Like, what am I doing here? You know, it's, it's very similar to Fred's story. You know, he said he, he conceded he had some of the problems, right? He's just a little pregnant. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And when I got out of rehab, I, I didn't want to stop. It talks about that in the doctor's opinion. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol and drugs. I like to change that word, like to love. I love the effect produced by drugs and alcohol. And I found the second love of my life, and that was painkillers. I had shoulder surgery, I had dislocated my shoulder. And I, was, I took that pill and I was like, oh, this is the meaning of life. This is it. And you know how crazy I was? I actually faked an injury so I could get another surgery to get more pills. That's how crazy I was. Man. I would do anything for drugs and alcohol. It was the love of, it was the love of my life. I was willing to go to any links for it. That was me. And about four years prior to me stopping, I had this utter inability to leave alcohol and drugs alone. I developed what was called the phenomenon of craving that comes in the form of an allergy. In the 1930s, the definition of allergy means an abnormal reaction to food, beverage, or substance. So whenever I drink, I get thirstier. I want more. Whenever I get high, I want more. I'm basically become a machine without an off button, right? I take a drink, the drink takes a drink, the drink takes me. I remember I took, I took a bump of cocaine and I ended up, I was supposed to be at a wedding, and I ended up at a different state in the United States. Right? <laughs> then I told my wife that I got hit by a car and I was unable to make that wedding. And she's like, you okay over there? I'm like, yeah, my knee's a little sore. And I have this abnormal reaction to drugs and alcohol. When I, when I drink and drug, I want more. However, I also have another abnormal reaction. Whenever I am sober, I have an abnormal reaction to sobriety. I have an abnormal reaction to abstinence. When I'm, when I'm sober, I'm restless, irritable, and I'm discontented, right? I feel like, I mean, that comes from the doctor's opinion. Those are some kind, kind words. When I'm stone cold sober, I feel like ripping my skin off. Why is that? Because you took the love of my life away from me. It was the centerpiece of my life. I remember someone asked me, they asked me, what did you expect when you first got drunk and high? And I was like, I don't know, witchcraft question is that? <laughs> but that's all I knew. I mean, I got high in the morning, I got high in the afternoon, I got high at work. I mean, it was a normal piece of my life. And then you take the love of my life away from me. My body yearns for it. I want it and I'll do whatever it takes for it. I'll run you over the Mack truck in order to get cocaine. That's who I was. In 2018, I had a heart attack. Um, I was at a movie theater with my wife, and uh, uh, I decided that it was, my, my nose was so jacked up from cocaine, and I decided it was a good idea to smoke crack. <laughs> <laughs> I lose my breath in this movie theater. I'm like, what the heck is happening? And I look over at my wife. I'm like, hey, I don't feel too well. And she's like, you're always sick. You're cry wolf at this point, dude. Right? And then we're driving home, and she notices that my eyes were turning blue. And she said, we're going to the hospital. I'm like, nah. You said I was not. I was crying wolf. I'm good. I'm good. We're going home. 
And we went home, and I, yet again, I lost my breath again. It was about 30 sec 15 to 30 seconds where I could not breathe. Agony. I felt like a, a, a horse kicked my chest. And um, I was sitting on my couch, or lying on my couch. I was kind of like, my chest was towards the cushions. And all of a sudden, I lose my breath again, and my cat comes up. He's got one, two feet on the bottom of the floor, one paw on the base of the couch, and he pulls his other paw back here, pulls my shoulder back here. I lock eyes with my cat. I've never seen my cat do this in my entire life. We locked eyes for one minute. It felt like an eternity. And I said, okay, I'll go to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's go. So I went to the hospital, I had five bypass open heart surgery. They put a balloon pump in me to keep me alive. I had to actually sit up, I had to be laying down, I couldn't sit up or the balloon would pop open. Right? You know, it, it was crazy. I was, I was detoxing in the hospital and the doctors were like, what's wrong with you? And I was hitting that morphine button every eight minutes. Hey, you know the morphine button. <laughs> I was hitting that baby every eight minutes. And they're like, what's wrong with you? And I couldn't tell them the truth. Right? Developing and grasping a manner of living that demands rigorous honesty? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I developed and, and polished a manner of living that demanded rigorous dishonesty. I didn't want anyone to know who I was, how I searched madly for the drugs every single morning, how I stole Chris's wallet and helped Chris look for it. And I, lived, I, I lived a double life. I lived a double life. The doctor told me if I ever got high again, I would, be, I would have another heart attack or I'll be back there or I'll be dead. I stayed sober for two months after that because of fear. I'm going to throw this out there. Fear is an unreliable higher power, period. It's a false god. I'm going to throw this out there as well. Success is an unreliable higher power. People are unreliable higher power. Your sponsor is an unreliable higher power. Self-knowledge is an unreliable higher power. Me knowing every single definition, the 1930s definition of the big book, right, Paige? Pew, pew, pew. God, I love you, I love, her. I love you, Paige. <laughs> it's not going to help me stay clean and sober. It will not help me in those strange mental blank spots. It just won't. I remember I was cleaning my trunk out. It was two months after the surgery. It was in March. Right? And all of a sudden I get I go to my golf bag and I see a bottle, a flask, and I see a bag of cocaine and I'm like, whoa, there's the love of my life. There she is. Right? I don't know about the mental blank spots. It's extremely difficult to explain. It's like I, I could have Charlie Brown's principal talking to me like, womp, 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 you just had open heart surgery, womp, 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 you're living in your car, womp, 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 you're gonna die. I don't hear any of that. The obsession is a singular thought, which is an irrational thought, which crowds out all other thoughts. I see the love of my life. Very similar to what Bill's story, you know how he walked into a bar to telephone a friend, and all of a sudden he's drinking at the morning, like, how'd I end up here? Let's look at that for a second. This cat walked into a bar to telephone someone, walking by the bar, and going, let me make that right to the bar. Went right to the bar, sat down, waited for the bartender for maybe, what, one or two minutes, ordered a drink, waiting for the drink to get to him, then actually gets the drink, takes a shot, takes another, takes another, and holding, he's like, how do I end up here? That's exactly what the mental blank spot. Right? I am unable at certain times to bring into my awareness or my consciousness with sufficient force that pain and humiliation which has happened a week or a month or two years or five years or ten years or thirty years ago. I'm without a defense against the first drink and drug. I am part of the no matter what club. I'm going to get high no matter what. 
It's going down unless I have a defense. And I did not have a defense, and I picked up right where I left off. I get a call from my wife. She's in the hospital. She had blood clots in her lungs. Her father died at age of 50 blood clots. Her, her sister died at age of 30 of blood clots. And you expect a husband to be by her side holding her hand. I just got trashed. I got trashed, right? According to her, it was, it was five days later that I came to, I thought it was two. <laughs> she was home out of nowhere, and, and um, she always makes sure that I mention this when I get to this part, because I just found out about this two years ago, that um, when she called me and told me that she was in the hospital, I told her I could care less if she lived or died. That was me, a tornado rolling through the lives of others. Sweet relationships are dead, hearts are broken. Right? You know, that person is dead, but that person would be easily resurrected again if I took a drink or drug. Period. I said, okay, I have a problem. Then I started going to the meetings, and I started to hear my story, and I'm like, that's me, that's me, like, like Bill D, right? That's me, that's me. I thought I was a lone wolf, a lone ranger, the only one that thought the way I thought, the only one that felt the way I felt. I literally got twins everywhere. I got twins in Canada. <laughs> I got, I got twins all over the world. It's amazing. You know? And then I was approached by people who were armed with opinions in the beginning. You know? And, and, and I don't blame them. I used to knock them on the podium, but I don't, I don't anymore. You know, these people were taught by people armed with opinions, and they were taught by people armed with opinions, and so on and so forth. These are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. I, I don't blame them because I was one of them. I resisted everything in this program until I got my butt thoroughly whooped. I have what is called ADD, Addict Defiance Disorder. <laughs> I, re I resisted everything, everything. did the work that was outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and my life changed. So I'm still going to meetings, I'm high during meetings. You know, I thought I was crafty, <laughs> and no one knows. You know, <clears throat> I had um, this point in my sobriety where I was going to these meetings, I didn't trust myself anymore. And um, so what happened is that my heart, you know, I had an abnormal heart rate after my open heart surgery. It would be thumping so loud that I could hear it. It would be vibrating my whole body. And I remember I was freaking out one day. You know the morning terror and the madness? You guys know what I'm talking about. I hope I'm in the right room. <laughs> and I was freaking out. And they gave me the third step prayer, seven step prayer. Didn't explain it to me. But I, I said something with every inch of my soul. I said, take away my difficulties. That victory over them may bear witness to those I may help with that power, that love, and that way of life. <clears throat> and my heart rate started to slow down. I came to believe that there was some type of power out there. That something that maybe possibly could help me. And that I don't trust myself anymore. My septum came out of my nose and I continued to use during this time. I was walking around asleep, 100% hopeless, and I needed divine intervention. I needed divine help. I was walking around purposely, purposely trying to kill myself. 
I was using Oxy-80s, cocaine, sleeping pills, you can name everything in the book, I was doing it, and I keep waking up. And I'm like, why am I still alive, God? Why are you still keeping me here? I bump into this kid, he had his shirt off, he had the same open heart surgery scar that I did. I get out of the car, he was in the fellowship, I was in the fellowship, he was high, I was on my way to go get high. I thought I was a lone wolf, the youngest person ever had open heart surgery after abusing. But no, there was a kid, he was 20 years old, everyone. He had 14 strokes before his open heart surgery. And I said, I'm not alone. And later on, I'm at Subway, and guys, I've lost everything. I've lost everything. I mean, I was living in my car, I was going through a divorce with my wife, I lost 30K in two months. I got fired from my job. And all of a sudden, this song comes on from that movie where I had a heart attack in called A Million Dreams from The Great Showman. And I started crying. And I said, okay, I'll go to rehab. God just sends messages and messengers all the time. The receiver was blocked. I was so broken, something came in. And I went into rehab in, in, in uh, Brooklyn, New York. And uh, that was funny, the, fir the first question is like, what do you hope to get out of here? And I said, I no longer want to be the actor anymore. I no longer want to play God. And they asked me, when was the last time you used? And I was like, last week? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, no, we just took your, uh, your, your piss test, dude. And you know, I'm like, yesterday, and they like turned the light off and on. It was like a weird bright light experience. And I was like, okay. And then five days in, I'm good. I'm ready to go home, feel better, look better. <laughs> oh yeah. I called my mommy. I'm like, mommy, can I come live with you? I'm living in my car, remember that. <laughs> I need a place to stay. And I said, mom, I need to come home. And she's like, no, you need to stay there. You're safe and protected. I don't know. And I, after that, I was looking at myself in the, in the mirror with my phone. And I said, you know what, mom, I'm lying. I just wanted to come home and get home. And after I got off the phone, I said, I'll stay here. And my birthday's on June 30th, so I had to stay in that rehab until July 1st. And I said, I'll stay for my birthday too, I don't care. And I got down on my knees and I abandoned myself utterly to a power that I never believed in, could care less about. Something, something miraculous happened. I don't know what it was, it was electric. Bill talks about it on page 14, it was electric, it was like a shock. <laughs> I was like, whoa, what happened here? I, got right here? I felt lifted up, right? It was like a great clean wind blew through and through. It's like going from a hot room to a cold room. It's, it's wild. Right? It was utter confidence. Not me being cocky. When I'm in the presence of God, I am supposed to feel confident. Right? There was a sense of victory. What does that mean? The battle is over, everyone. The battle is over. It says my mind went somewhere. My old alcoholic. He said he went to the doctor to see if he was still sane. Why? Because his old mind is gone. That's what happened in that moment. I remember I took a psychological test the next day. I scored under 10% on my anxiety levels. I had restless leg syndrome five days ago. <laughs> like, I was crazy. I was walking around this rehab telling everybody I found God. And like, who is this crazy cat? <laughs> like, who is this dude, right? And they, they, they recommended I go to a treatment center in, uh, in Minnesota. And at first I said no. And I said, Terry, you lost everything. What else do you have to lose? So I go out to Minnesota, and I was introduced to uh, this place called The Retreat. It's a wonderful program. It's, it's a non-clinical, non-insurance, right? You pay out of pocket. 
And it's all designed around the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. There's four people on staff. Everybody who is there is doing 12-step work. Right? I was going through the steps while I was in rehab. You go through the first nine steps in rehab and you're making amends when you're out there. Right? I mean, talk about the purity of the message. That this is where it was. Right? And it was the first time I, was, I opened up the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And guys, I did not want to pick it up. You know why? Because I thought it was too big. <laughs> <laughs> That thing, man. And when I opened it up, the first page that I looked at, it says, there is a solution. Yeah. Who's got under a year here? Anyone got? There you are. We have a way out. We have a way up, and we have a way out. I believe in miracles because I am a miracle. I'm a miraculous demonstration of one today. And on top of page 25, it says so many want to stop, but they cannot. You know why? Because they don't know the information. It's my responsibility to pass it along to you. I learned about the real alcoholic or the real addict on page 21 and, 20 and 21. I'm not different from other people. I'm different from other drinkers and different from other users. I'm different from the moderate users. These cats can take half a shot and walk away. That ain't me. Like, what are you doing with half that shot? Give that to me, right? Well, what about the hard trigger of sufficiently strong reason, ill health, falling in love, or change your environment? These cats could stop or moderate. I had a doctor point blank tell me in my face, you will die if you ever get high again. That didn't stop me. But what about the real addict, right? My qualifiers, I lost all control once I put liquor and I put it into my system, right? I learned about the phenomenon of craving, how I'm medically and physically powerless over drugs and alcohol, right? I learned about the obsession in the mind on page 24, how me on my own power, pages 23 to 43 are my favorite pages in the big book, how me on my own power, choice, and control, I will drink again. I lost the power to choose whether I'm gonna drink or not. I also learned on page 24 how I'm beyond human aid. Rehab's a human power, everyone. That did not stop me. My sponsors are human power. My family's a human power. Jails are a human power. I learned through repeated humiliation, everyone. Repeated humiliation. Let me say that one more time. Repeated humiliation that I had to concede to my innermost self that I was a real addict. You know, we look at step one, we talk about powerless, we talk about unmanageability, but we miss the word admit. The word admit means to let in. I'm letting in this to my soul, into my gut, that I'm a real addict. I can't teach pain. I can't teach willingness to another person. So your step one experience is yours and yours alone. Period. My experience with step one is either I do the work or I get high again. That's me. That's me. That's who the speaker you chose up here. That's me. I can see to my innermost self. I remember I was sitting in my sixth rehab in Minnesota, yet again, I still don't know where I'm at in Minnesota, thinking, how can I successfully get high and how can I successfully stay clean at the same time? That's exactly what I was thinking. That delusion has to be smashed. Smashed. I learned on page 52 how my life is unmanageable, how me on my own power, I can't fix and manage my personal relationships. I can't do it. 
I just can't. How me on my own power, I can't make the feeling of uselessness go away. How me on my own power, I can't make my fears go away. How me on my own power, I can't make a living. How me on my own power, I can't be a real help to other people. How me on my own power, I can't make myself happy. I lack power. I lack power. Guys, this is all about an acquisition of power. If you are truly powerless, you need some power in your life. Straight up. This is, I'll, I'll be completely transparent. Guys, this program is all about the power of God in your life. And this book is not the treasure. I'm going to say that one more time. It is not the treasure. It is a map. It's a map to a power greater than yourself, which will help you live and live happy. And will help you at certain times. I love those three words. At certain times against the first trade. Meaning, I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. I need a defense. I need a defense. It talks about it more about alcoholism. Look at the carpet slipper dude. Look at Jim and look at Fred. Look at those cats. They all had an insane idea and they all made an act, made a decision slash action on that insane idea. And in between that insane idea and that action is a very small space but occupies a very, very large God. And that's what we're building a relationship with. You know that little voice that tells you to stop fully at a stop sign instead of blowing right through it? That's what I'm talking about. That little intuition deep down within you, which will separate you from using. You're looking at someone who has been separated. I am a miraculous demonstration of the power of God in one's life. And when I got to the portion of We Agnostics with my sponsor, I was asked a very simple question. It was very funny. I remember I was talking to a new guy. He was like, I'm working on step two. I'm like, how are you doing that? <laughs> if you're new here, I'll give, you, I'll give you a little quick to the point and simple thing how to complete step two. Do you believe that there's a power greater in yourself? You could say no. I had my sponsor tell me that. You know what I said? Hell no, bro. Back up. That's exactly what I said to him. And he said, okay, Terry, are you even willing to believe that there's a power greater in yourself? And I said, heck yeah. I don't trust myself. I'm willing to believe. You know, I like to take the book and I like to practice this as these words as a demonstration. I like the spiritual exercises, right? If you have time in here, I highly recommend you try this out because a lot of times I'm agnostically inclined. I like to go back and rely on Terry all the time, right? So do you believe, are you even willing to believe that there is a power greater in yourself that can take you to a new level of freedom? Ask yourself that. How free do I want to be? How far do you want to go? And if you're just sitting here and just coasting by and you're dying inside, but you're saying, I'm great. <laughs> I've been there. How free do you want to be? There's a club in the club and this fellow. You know, there's two fellowships here. Right? There's the club within the club being wrecked in the same vessel and restored under one God with hearts and minds attuned to the welfare of others. There's a fellowship of the spirit here. Which club you in? You all have the opportunity to do the work, right, Chris? And God will work on you. That's how a relationship works. You do the work, God works on you. And I got to this portion of the agnostics with my sponsor. And he asked me when we became alcoholics, crushed, crushed. I self-imposed crisis. I did it to me, right? 
I could not postpone or, or evade this question anymore. I had to fearlessly face this proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. He either is or he isn't. What is your choice to be? And I'll never forget this, everyone. I'm sitting in this coffee shop called Caribou in Minnesota. Yet again, I still don't know where I'm at in Minnesota. Right? And my sponsor leans over. He's like, hey, Terry, can you explain God? And I've taken a lot of people through the word. And sometimes I throw this question at them just to see what kind of response they get. Because I want to hear what they said. And I tell you right now, I have not heard someone respond the way that I did yet. I can't wait to meet them. <laughs> This is what I said. I said, heck yeah, I can explain God. I said, hell yeah, I can explain God. God is love. God is quarterly direction. God is blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, I become completely tongue-tied. And my sponsor's like, hey, come here, buddy. <laughs> come here for a second. Hey, let, me, let me tell you this. It's pretty hard to explain everything, Terry. He says, because God is everything, and everything's God, and you're not God. And right then and there, everyone, I was rocketed right into the fourth dimension of existence. I couldn't even dream. God can't be explained, but he can be experienced. I'm going to say that one more time. God can't be explained, but he can be experienced. I could run out of money, I could run out of property, I could run out of prestige, I could even run out of gas while I'm driving, but I could never run out of God. And when I got on a rehab page, I had nothing. I had literally nothing. What is your choice to be, Terry? Is God everything or else he's nothing? God is everything. Let's rock and roll. Let's rock and roll. Live your life forward, you understand it backwards. When I look back at my life, when I made a conscious decision to rely on a higher power, my life has been indescribably wonderful. When I look back at my life and I made a, decision, a conscious decision to rely on myself, it's been pretty rocky. <laughs> it's like swimming upstream and getting hit by branches and twigs and people on floaties, it doesn't matter. Right? I mean, think about, you, know, you guys, you know, in our book it talks about fear, you know. It ought to be classed with stealing, right? You know, this book was not written for kleptomaniacs. <laughs> it was written for alcoholics and drug addicts. So whenever I'm in fear, I actually make a conscious decision to rely on myself. The alpha, the omega, the beginning of all. The up here, my mind. And it says on page 64, being convinced that self manifested in various ways is what defeated us. Guys, us and self are two different things. I'm going to explain that. Us is like, I have a two-year-old son. He's not thinking the drive for success is on. I have arrived. How dark it is before the dawn. <laughs> Cursing myself for being a weakling in the mirror. Faith has to work. He's not thinking any of that. He has a constant connection with the power of himself. He's living from moment to moment to moment to moment to moment basis. That's what we're doing, everyone. We're going back home. We're going back home to the land of milk and honey. We're going back home to the fourth dimension. We're going back home to right here, right now. And that's where God is. There is one who has all power, that one's God, maybe you find him now. That's a time frame. A lot of people don't understand that how it works is clear-cut instructions, and we breeze by that one, right? I mean, God, there's a prayer right there. We ask for God's protection and care with complete abandon. That's a prayer that you practice as a way of life. You guys ever say a prayer? Yeah. Let me check. You guys remember when you took a drug, you became the drug? Yeah? It just took you. When you do a sincere prayer, you become the prayer. You start to become a demonstration of the words that are in this book. Right? It's not about learning. I, I know everything, blah, 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 doesn't matter. That's not going to keep me sober. It's not about learning. It's about becoming. 
And when you become this way of life, you start to be this way of life. I am today, I, I am a be. I am a demonstration of how it works. I'm a demonstration of in the action. I'm a demonstration of how um, in, in, to uh, family afterwards. I'm a demonstration of two wives. I'm a demonstration of a vision for you. I'm a demonstration of there is a solution. I'm a demonstration of a spiritual experience. I'm a demonstration of a, a spiritual awakening. I'm a miraculous demonstration. I just wanted to point that out. I don't know why. <laughs> and then we have self. That's the little minion in our head. That little narrative in our head. That little story in our head. They're just thoughts, right? Oh, I need money to live. I need to be in control to live. What are people thinking about me? That ain't you. It talks about our actor is self-centered and egocentric. The good news is you ain't the actor. That's just a minion, that is who we are not. That's why we write inventory, to find out who we are not, so we could get rid of that cat, and their true authentic self will come out to play. That's what we're doing here. And I love the fear prayer, I love that thing. I mean, I talk about the fear prayer all the time. God, please remove my fear and direct my attention to what you would have me be, 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 right? Or be what? Be a father. You know, be, be a messenger of hope. Be, 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 be kind, be tolerant, be. Be this way of life and your life will change. It talks about that in our 12 and 12, our steps are a group of principles, spiritual nature, practice as a way of life can expel the obsession to drink and use and make the individual happy, useful, and whole. That's exactly what I wanted before I drank. That's exactly what I wanted while I drank. And it's exactly what I wanted when I got sober. That's it. And I got to step three and you know, made a decision to turn my will and my life over the care of God. What is that church mumbo jumbo bullshit, right? <laughs> Lay aside prejudice. This lay it aside. You know the lay aside prayer. You guys ever hear the lay aside prayer? Raise your hands if you have. There we go. So who has not? Okay. There's a prayer that is taken out of we agnostics. I was taken by a bunch of people. Don P, Mark, you know, Mark H, Joe Hawk, all those guys. They created a prayer to lay aside everything I think I know about dot, 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 so I may have an open mind and a new experience with dot, dot, dot. Amen. Why do I need to lay aside everything I think I know? Because I think I know everything. That self, that meaning in our head, that story in our head, that's why we pause when agitated or doubtful. Why do we pause? Because it puts a disturbance in that story, that little narrative, little minion, where you think you're right. Anyone judge a speaker? I know Paige judged me before I came. <laughs> Whenever you're judging someone, you think that you're right, and whenever you're right, you're playing God. And my experience with playing God doesn't work. I just get hurt, and when I play God, I step on your toes, and what happens, you retaliate, and what happens when you retaliate, I get angry, and what happens when I get angry, I say, how dare you, and what happens when I say, how dare you, I go into self-pity, and what happens when I go into self-pity, I think cocaine answer, cocaine solution. I remember I was nine months sober, and um, I was going, I was trying to find a job, and I had an interview, and they didn't call me back. 
And it was two days, everyone. Two days, where's my phone call at? Where's my phone call at? Straight up, why aren't you calling me? Don't you know who I am? I'm Mr. AA, Mr. CA, Mr. Convention Speaker. Don't you know? Man, I got Minnesota right there. <laughs> Don't you know? And I was so crazy. My mind was racing, and I felt sick inside. I felt terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair, insobriety. And I got on and made my knees again, just like I did in Brooklyn, New York. And I abandoned myself utterly to God, and I had to an answer prayer. I had no idea that God had a 24-7 hotline that you could touch base with him anytime. I just had no idea. I, I really didn't it. It says on the bottom of page 58, remember we deal with alcohol. Cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. But there is one, guys circle that word one, one who has all power. How much power does that make that I have? No. And that one is your sponsor. You should call him now. Where's <laughs> my drink go? It didn't say that, but I wanted to take a break. Uh, it doesn't say that. It says there is one all power that was Paige. You should call her now. No, it doesn't say that. There is one all power that was Pavin. You should call him now. It doesn't say that. There is one all power that was Chris. You should call him now. It doesn't say that. It says there is one all power that was God. May you find him now. Right now. And I finally made that decision that hereafter in this drama life, everyone, God was going to be my director. I was going to be his actor. He was a father. I was a child. He was a principal. And I was his agent. He was the employer. And I'm his employee. And how do I know I'm working for the new employer? I stopped working for the old one. And that was me. And then remarkable things started to happen. Remarkable things started to happen. I actually started to do the work. Me making a decision. Remember, I was just talking to Paige earlier about three uh, red tail hawks on a fence. You guys ever hear that? Yeah. Good, because I just made it up. <laughs> I, was tired. I was tired of the three frogs on the log. I was tired of that. So you got three red tail hawks on a fence. Two make a decision to launch out into the sky. How many launched out into the sky? None, because they all made a decision but didn't do any work. And it's funny, you know, when I'm, when I'm taking people through the work, they don't understand the third step decision is just a decision. You actually turning your will and your life over to the care of God is you working step four. You telling someone your fifth step, six, seven, eight, and nine. That's actually turning it over. And when people are balking on step four, you know what they're doing? They have made a decision that they are the Alpha, they are the Omega, they are the Director, they are the Father, they are God. That's the deal. And I go back to my step one experience and I remember my ass whooping. Sorry for my language. <laughs> I was pretty good with the language, thank you God. <laughs> and I launched out into this course of vigorous action. And I started writing inventory and I swallowed some humongous truths about myself. You know, the resentments is fascinating, so it's a trick. <laughs> it's a trick to look at our selfishness and self-centeredness. And the real transformation that really happens is from column three to column four, right? And what happens is this little prayer on page 67, and I hope you brought, guys brought your big books to class. I, I, I didn't, but I asked Paige. You know, our 12 steps says to carry this message 
right? Uh, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of this, the steps, we carry this message. What message? The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, right? And the solution could get pretty watered down by the fellowship. That's like me going to Paige and saying, hey, Paige, the common solution is spiritual experience. And she goes, tells Paven, and Paven tells Chris. Chris tells Ryan, and Ryan comes back to me and tells me the New York Mets won the World Series. <laughs> Bring your books to class next time. I hope you do it for tomorrow. And there's prayer right here, and it says, we ask God to help us show them, whoever it is, the same tolerance, pity, and patience we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man or woman, how can I be helpful? God save me. We say that the resentment prayer, you know, anger prayer, it's more like the me prayer. Save me from me, God. Right? And this is where the real transformation happened for me. I had a resentment towards my wife. She took 50K from me. She pushed me. She used to hit me. And I was angry. I could not go into that fourth column because I kept looking at what She did this to me. She did that to me. I was the great victim. The great I. The great MY. The great for me. I was the victim. She's the problem. And my sponsor just hit me with it. He's like, well, Terry, have you ever stolen money from me? And I was like, yeah? Well then, like ourselves, they are sick too, Terry. Well, Terry, have you ever hit your wife? No, I would never do that. I would never touch a woman. Not, not like that, no way. Well, Terry, have you ever been tempted to hit your wife? Yes, yes I have. He says, well, Terry, like ourselves, they are sick too. We are equals. The same pain that drives them drives me too. Right? I remember my sponsor asking me, he's like, Terry, you suffer from an obsession that's beyond your mental control, right? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get high no matter what. <laughs> I got that down. He's like, well, you think that your wife also suffers from an obsession that's beyond your mental control with blaming you? And I said, yeah. Well, then, like ourselves, they are sick too. And I finally made that transition into column four where I started to look at my mistakes, not my part, because if I say my part, that means they got a part, and I'm gonna be hung up on your part, and then forget about my part, and then all of a sudden it's, it's worthless. My mistakes, where am I at fault? We're looking at mistakes, everyone. Mistakes are just invitations to lessons learned. I learn from them, that's why I love the 10 step. I get to watch, 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 watch from my mistakes. Right? Because when I'm making these mistakes, I start to learn from them because I'm watching them myself all the time. And then what happens when fear crops up, I ask God to remove it at once. And then I discuss it with another human being. And then I turn, I turn, I turn. I put the pause in that narrative in my story if I'm angry or in fear. And I turn to you to get out of self. This is the deal, everyone. It's really simple. Just do the work. And God will work on you. And I remember I came back to Minnesota, I came back to New York. And, um, and I, I'm going really, to really backtrack that. My wife and I were going through a divorce. And um, I was having my lawyer attack her, and her lawyer was attacking me, and blah, blah, blah. Right? And I just did my fist step, and guess who found out who was the a-hole? Ah. <laughs> And um, my, I asked my sponsor, she was reaching out to me. She's like, let's dead this. You know, we're financially kicking our, each other's butts. Let's stop this. Right? And I called my, my sponsor, I'm like, what do I do? She said, kill her with kindness. And, and that's what I did. My wife and I, we got back together today. And my wife and I, we have a beautiful relationship. 
She is. She, she is an Alan, you know, and she does a great 10 step whenever I'm wrong. She promptly admits it. <laughs> whenever I'm wrong, she promptly admits it. I came back to New York and um, I balked on step nine. You know, it's simple, but it's not easy, everyone. A price has to be paid. And that meant the destruction of self-centeredness. The 1930s definition of destruction means to take apart piece by piece by piece. I need to take apart piece by piece by piece. Self-centeredness with action, with God's help. And sometimes we fall into a trap, everyone. God kept me sober. God kept me sober. God kept me sober. If that was true, the Bible would be one page and three words. God kept me sober. No. What it says, what we really have. What we, I love that word really, what we really have is a daily reprieve contingent upon the maintenance of, maintenance of, I mean that should be a song, maintenance of, maintenance of, right? our spiritual condition. That means we've got work to do. Work, 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 and when we do this work, pay, then we catch the grace of God, which solves my, all your problems. And my experience has been all my problems. And what happens, I balked on step nine, I went to a detox with these big book guys, this was in another fellowship, and these were big book guys. I'm going to say that one more time. These were big book guys. Thumpers. Love them. They're my peeps. I go to this detox. There were drug addicts at this place, and I'm like, I'm a drug addict. Here we go. Let's tell my story. And I'm having dinner with these guys afterwards, and the guy leans over, and he says, hey, you know what, Terry? I'm concerned you're not a real alcoholic. And I was like... Oh, what are you talking about? Like, you know, Bill's story is literally my story, the allergy. When I drink, I get thirsty. Blah, blah, blah. Like, what are you talking about? Like, and, uh, and afterwards, I was pissed. I'm pissed. Like, pissed. And then after I'm walking away, and I'm like, maybe he's right. That's what I said. I said, maybe he's right. I had alcohol in my house. I was serving it to people. I couldn't have walked past it. I could taste tequila on my mouth. I was going crazy for it. I was telling my wife I'm dreaming about it. It's whispering in my ear. I'm fantasizing about drinking. The obsession came back. Do the work or drink again or get high again. That's where I was. I was literally at a traffic light looking to make a left to go to a bar or make a right to go to a meeting. I called my sponsor and I said, hey sponsor, this is what's going on. He's like, did you make your amends? I'm like, no, I didn't make my amends. What are you, baby Yoda over there? Like, how do you know that? <laughs> He's like, maybe you need to make your amends. And I remember I was sitting in my car for about 45 minutes, shaking, trembling, just like Dr. Bob did on page 155 and 156. I was trembling, praying for the willingness to call this kid. This kid. You know, and reminding myself I'm willing to go to any links for victory over alcohol and drugs, reminding myself I'm willing to go to any links for spiritual experience, saying it over and over and over again. Right? And I accidentally called him. <laughs> and he picked up the phone, he said, Hey Terry, where have you been? I miss you and I love you. I have no idea that people have love and compassion for me. You know, when you make these amends, they're scary. You know why they're scary? Because you're listening to the story that's up there. I think it's real. And I balk. People have compassion and love for us. They want what's best. They're happy that I'm not killing myself anymore. 
straight up. And right then and there, I was rocketed right into the fourth dimension of existence. I couldn't even dream. Everyone, I found out the two most important dates of my life. It's not my sobriety date. It's not. My sobriety date just measures how much time I have. It was the day I was born and the day I found out why. And the day I found out why is to fit myself to be a maximum service to God and the people around me. Oh, yeah, let's rock and roll with these amends now, baby. Yeah, let's rock and roll. Remember, I'm, I'm, remember about four years ago, I'm begging God, why are you keeping me alive? I'm purposely trying to overdose myself. That's why. To fit myself. Fit is an action word. That means like you go to the gym, you work out, you put weights, pick them up, put them down. Pick them, you're fitting yourself to be a maximum service to God and the people around me. And I start to make these different approaches to individuals. And all of a sudden, I start noticing, I'm like, I'm not thinking about getting high. I'm not thinking about drinking. It's not whispering in my ear. I'm not fantasizing about it. I'm not even dreaming about it anymore. The obsession was removed and has not come back. In that moment, I suddenly, that's a time frame, everyone. I suddenly realized that God was doing for me what I could never do for myself. You know, suddenly is a time frame. That means right here, right now. Just like with Jim, suddenly the thought crossed, crossed my mind. And I would put an ounce of whiskey in my milk. Suddenly, where's God? He's also right here, right now. You know, put a separation between that insane thought and that action to go do it. And there's a large enough separation. I have not thought about getting high and drunk since that day. So what happened when COVID happened? Why was I happy, joyous, and free during COVID? It was because I was doing intensive work with other addicts. And I was demonstrating these principles in all my affairs. The 75 pages dedicated to Step 12, pages 89 to 164, read them, study them, make them a way of life. There's some really awesome stuff in there. Paige is one of the best people to break them down. If you ever heard Paige, listen to her on YouTube. You know, try practicing never being angry. <laughs> That's a state of being. That's not easy to do. Especially with everybody. Try, try not being angry with everybody. Wow. You'll start loving people who are unlovable. You'll start loving your boss who's a total jerk. You'll start loving everyone because they are a child of God. We are equals. I'm not better than and I'm not less than. And what have we were doing remarkable things during COVID. I'm here, for, I'm here on this day because of COVID, because of Off the Rails. I love you guys. Thank you. Thank you for saving my life. I was only able to tell half my story in AA. Now I get to tell my whole story. Um, and I can shout the solution all day. God, 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 God. But why on earth is there anyone want to have if I don't share the same problem. So like Dr. Bob, right? When Bill approached Bob, right? Right? And Billy only had 15 minutes from Dr. Bob, right? Yeah. right? Just only had 15 minutes. And then he came in here, he's like, all right, come in here, bro. That's how they talk back then. They say, bro. Hey, come on here, bro. Right? Bill didn't hit him with the solution. He didn't hit him with God. He told his story. He told the medical facts about alcoholism to, to Dr. P. 
right? And then afterwards, Bill's grabbing his coat, he's putting it back on, and Dr. Rob's like, hold on, bro. Remember? That's how they talk back then. Come on, hold on, bro. Let me tell you my story. They shared experience, strength, and hope. If you take Cocaine Anonymous, you put it in the blender, the meetings, the traditions, the steps, the big book, and all that stuff, and you shake it up and you pour it down, it comes down to just one addict talking to another addict, sharing experience, strength, and hope, right? So what happened? I stopped doing the work. I stopped helping people. About 10 months in, I started to be semi-restless, irritable, and discontent. <laughs> I started to see terror, bewilderment, frustration, just it starts circling around me now, right? You know, there's a book, there's a line on page 82, and where's it at? Is that uh, the dude comes out of the cyclone cellar after seeing his home destroyed by a tornado. Right? And the dude comes out and he says, I don't see that anything the matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand, the wind stopped blowing. Right? I'm starting to fight with my wife every single night. She's on my resentment inventory. Ain't it grand, five minutes, ain't it grand, the wind stopped blowing. I'm starting to gossip and slander is my code. Now I'm not loving tongues. Slander and gossip is my code. Ain't it grand, the wind stopped blowing. Right? People, newcomers be calling me up. I'm like, dude, it's football Sunday. And ain't it grand, the wind stopped blowing. You know, people fighting for their lives on Zoom, asking for help, and I'm just playing video games with my video off saying, ain't it grand, two minutes, five minutes, two minutes, okay, okay. Ain't it grand, the wind stopped blowing. <laughs> that guy just made my day by saying that, okay. <laughs> What was the final straw, and I'll end with this, was that um, I called out of work five days in advance. <laughs> Ain't a grand, the wind stopped blowing, right? And I told him I couldn't make it work, and I remember looking at myself in the mirror, and I'm shaking, and I'm trembling, and I was not thinking cocaine solution, cocaine answer. I was thinking suicide solution, suicide answer. I was at the jumping off place in recovery, I made a conscious decision to go through the steps. I did in one day, if your butt's on fire, you'll do the work. I did steps four through nine in one day. I made, I made my amends, I took a nap. And afterwards, out of my fifth step, I had a fear that I couldn't get my wife pregnant. Right? I was like, I did so many drugs and alcohol, I could never do it, blah, blah, blah. And um, after I, made the, I took my nap, my wife comes up and she gives me a letter, tells her she's been pregnant. I was rocketed right back into the fourth dimension of existence, right then and there. You know, you know what's really cool about the fourth dimension when you know when you're in it. I was there when my wife gave birth. She had a very difficult pregnancy. Remember the blood clots? I was holding my hand against uh, my hand with her hand, my head against her head. There were about 10, 15 doctors in there because it was a serious surgery, C-section. And all of a sudden we hear. Wee! And my son Phoenix James was born on uh, August 2nd, 2021. And I got to see this kid grow up. I got to see him say, take his first poop, <laughs> his first diaper, his first step, his fourth dimension. He's the joy of my life. 
has a 1,000% that God has a successful recycling business. He takes trash, he turns it into treasure. He took me, a piece of trash, a tornado roaring through the lives of others, a victim of delusions and illusions, an unlovely creature, and he transformed me. He transformed me into a father, into a husband, into a friend that shows up, that says yes, into an employee, into an employer. You know, that kid that I made amends to and I didn't want to, he gave me a free truck. I started my own business because of it. You can't make this stuff up. Into a man of faith, a man of forgiveness, and most importantly, a miraculous demonstration of the power of God in one's life. My name is Terry. I'm a recovered addict. Thank you.